Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you once again for joining me. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, be sure you go ahead and do that. I come out with new episodes every single Wednesday morning. You're going to want to check them out. And speaking of new episodes, today is episode number 52. That means an entire year of Speak a Dogcast. Yes. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for the support. You know, thank you for the reviews. I want to thank all my guests for coming on. Thank everybody for the listener Q&A questions. I mean, it's been awesome. It's really just been fantastic. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to be able to, to share my passion of animals and especially dogs with all of you out there. You know, I've really enjoyed hearing some some of the success stories, quite frankly. Some people reaching out to me through, through social media and, and other things and saying that really they've gotten a lot out of the training advice and working with their dog and how everything's just helped them and helped the relationships with their dogs. Guys, that's that's what I love. That's what I'm all about. And I love being able to give people the, the, the knowledge, the confidence and empower them to go out there and train their dogs. So thank you everyone, just everybody that's helped so far in supporting Speak a Dogcast. What a great year it's really been, you know? Came to, we started thinking about Speak a Dogcast. My wife was wonderful and influenced the idea. August 2020 uh, was when we started thinking about it, which was, you know, tough time for everybody then. And uh, by October, we had the show up and going. And here we are a year later with a full year of episodes. I can't even believe it. And I've just had a great time doing it. So thank you guys once again. We're going to keep it going. We've got some great news coming up in the next few weeks. Got a lot of good stuff going on. Got the dog agility course and play yard getting built out here. And I'm just excited. I really am. So let's talk about today's episode. Let's 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 get going. And, you know, the first segment today is going to be emotions and your dog. Yes, it's finally time for that episode. Oh boy, this is a <laughs> controversial topic, am I right? Emotions in your dog. Do your Does your dog have emotions? I'll tell you when you listen to the segment. <laughs> After that, we're going to have a segment called How to Get Your Dog Adjusted to a New Baby. Yeah, there's a lot going on there, you know, a lot to think about, a lot to prepare for between the dog and, of course, the baby. So it's what to expect when you're expecting. Following that, we'll have the breed of the week. Then comes the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, email me questions at speakadogcast.com. Don't forget to find me on social media at speakadogcast as well. But before we get going with the show today, got to give you that trivia question. Today's question is... What is the largest frog in the world? Yes, what is the name of the largest frog in the world? I'll give you the answer to that question in today's show. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's a segment called Emotions and Your Dog. This is a tough subject, right? Don't let your emotions take over today, okay? Don't let your emotions take over on what we think about animals and emotions. So stick with me on this one. We've got to hear kind of this whole thing. So it's a touchy subject, animals and emotions, because quite frankly, we are an emotional animal, right? We are. We're very emotional. We express those emotions with some extremes. And look, it's what drives us. It's what creates passion and 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 um, progress, really. Our, our emotions are a very big part of who we are as human beings. 
But when it comes to animals and emotions, that becomes a lot harder of a subject. So the first thing I want to start with is a disclaimer, okay? I know, we start a lot of segments with disclaimers because they're, they're, it's important. It's important to provide context, and it's very important for this uh, segment that we provide context. And so the first disclaimer, the first thing I have to say, and I just want to get it out there, I believe, I think animals have emotions, okay? They're right there. I do believe that animals have emotions. So I'm not here to dispute the fact that animals have emotions. That's not what this conversation, that's not what we're going to talk about today. It's not, I, don't, I don't want to dispute that. I don't want to play that game, okay? But what I will dispute today, what we are going to talk about, is qualifying and quantifying an animal's emotions. And look, simply put, in my opinion, you can't do it. And you shouldn't do it, okay? Look, I know, I'm going to ruffle a couple feathers today, but hey, if I'm not ruffling feathers, I'm not doing anything right. So <laughs> here, here's the reality, guys. I, I think animals have emotions. I don't think we have the ability to fully comprehend the level and depth of emotions that they have. And for that matter, if we really want to go off the deep end in a philosophical debate today, I don't know that we can fully understand, and we don't, right? I mean, come on. I don't know that we can fully understand human beings' emotions. Gentlemen, have any of you guys ever been married out there for any number of years, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, come on. I kid. I kid. Um, no, but... It, it, it's the truth. Humans are just complicated beings, guys. We are. We're incredibly complicated beings, some of us more so than others. And we all have these different depths and levels of emotion. So what you view as happiness, someone next to you might not. Look, it always goes back to the concepts of psychology, guys, doesn't it? Doesn't it always go back to reinforcement and punishment? I've said what you view as a form of reinforcement, the person next to you is not going to, or a person 10 people down isn't going to. What you view as a form of punishment, something you work to avoid, what you view as punishment, somebody else may not, right? We could argue that has to do with our emotions, couldn't we? So your perspective on what happiness is or what sadness is or what depression is or what ecstatic, incredible excitedness is, may not be the same definitions as mine. And that's, that's, that's perfectly fine. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong or right or anything about that. That's just, that's, that's what it is, right? So without trying to, to really dive off into this whole philosophical debate here, we really don't have a full comprehension of emotions. If we did, everybody would be perfectly balanced and fine and there would be no drama, right? But that's not how we work. So to me, the reality is we don't fully even understand emotions in ourselves and other people. So how are we going to fully comprehend emotions with a creature that can't fully communicate with us in the way that we understand? Again, guys, I'm going to say, I might say the disclaimer a few times today because I don't want anybody, you know, getting too upset. I am saying animals have emotions. I do believe they do. I just don't know that we can fully comprehend those emotions, okay? So let me get into more detail of what I'm trying to explain here. Look, I'll, I'll be honest. I had a conversation years ago with another behavior specialist that I knew, 
And <laughs> uh, we, had, we had some great conversations. And this one in particular was about emotions and animals. And it's, it's a tough subject, guys. And, you know, look, I, I, I'm, I was genuinely trying to get a, an understanding as much as I possibly can on animals and emotions. Because, look, here, here's the thing. And this is what we talked about uh, that day. <laughs> I'll never forget this conversation. I, 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 again, I believe that I can't really understand my dog's emotions to, to, to an incredible, incredible depth to the depth of their heart. You know, I just don't be honest. I don't, I don't think I can because I can't really ask them. Now, my job as an animal behavior specialist and, and, you know, for that matter, my job working with people and their pets and their dogs as a trainer, I look at my job is to bridge the gap communication wise between a dog and their owner. Right. And in order to bridge that gap, my job is to quantify and qualify behavior as much as I possibly can to be able to have tangible evidence, to be able to have tangible proof, to be able to have tangible something to work with, to be able to train a dog. Right. Because if I can't quantify and qualify behavior on, oh, that dog's relaxed or that dog is not relaxed or right, it's hard to know what you should reinforce. And, and as you, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. Okay. So, you know, my job is to quantify and qualify. So, this was the like this is the argument I had this day is I said, look, if it's if it's my job as a professional, if it's my job to quantify and qualify behavior to the best of my ability for the average owner to be able to understand, then isn't it in some form, in some way, my job to come to some relative conclusion about what happiness is in a dog? And you know, he told me that the answer is no. <laughs> No, it's not. And, you know, look, it, it upset me at the time. It did. My emotions took over uh, because I didn't like the answer because my emotions wanted that answer to be different. But it's the truth. He wasn't wrong. He's right. He's right. Um, you know, I, and, and the thing is, I don't fully disagree or agree one way or the other with that I, because to me, it's not that black and white. And that's the problem. When, when we don't have an answer to something, Right. If I don't have an answer to it, then to me, the answer is is anything but black and white. If it's not a black and white answer, then guess what? It's not. It's not black and white. <laughs> so I can't definitively say it's, you know, it's not my job to say he's happy. I, 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 just, I personally can't dive off that deep end to that extent. But he's not wrong. But he's not wrong, people. He's not. And and here's why. Okay, look, I, I gave an example to him. And stay with me on this because this is important. And it uh, that day I really learned something very important. Okay. I told him, I said, look, if I have a golden retriever, everybody knows golden retrievers love tennis balls. Aha, love. How do I know if he loves it? Ah. <laughs> golden retriever. Okay. I have a tennis ball. I take the tennis ball and I throw it. And then the golden retriever brings it back to me. And I throw it again. And let's say we rinse and repeat this 20 times. Now, any of you guys that know, that listen to the podcast, that know the rules of psychology, if a behavior stays the same or increases, by definition, it's being reinforced. And so I asked him, I said, couldn't I argue if that dog keeps bringing that ball back to me, couldn't I argue that it's being reinforced and therefore he likes it and it makes him happy? And he said, no, David, you, you can't. You can't say that. 
And I said, why not? And he said, because can't you reinforce, positively reinforce undesired behaviors in dogs? What about a dog who acts aggressive? What about a dog who acts possessive? If they act possessive over and over and over, guess what? That behavior is staying the same or increasing. So by definition, that behavior is being reinforced. Am I going to argue that that makes that dog happy? Ah, there's the problem, guys, right there. This is why we can't throw our emotions onto it. Because when it comes to reinforcement and punishment, they're arbitrary. Rule, or excuse me, rules are arbitrary, right? Our expectations of what we want our dogs to do, it's arbitrary. It's all what you reinforce and what you punish. And like I say all the time on this podcast, I, I unfortunately, I watch people reinforce undesired bad behaviors in their dogs all the time. All the time. What about I, I, this one? I hear too... <laughs> I don't like when I hear this one because to me, it's just a little dangerous when I hear, oh, Fluffy doesn't let anybody near me because he's protective over me because he loves me. Guys, I know there's plenty of you out there that are going to agree with me that that is not a healthy behavior. But she views that that the person, again, it's like, I hate to say it. I had one somewhat recently who he loves me. No, that dog thinks he owns you. <laughs> That dog is instinctually protecting his pack because he's out of balance, because mentally that dog is out of balance. So getting back to it, simply put, guys, just because, stick with me here, this is, this is the, just because a behavior gets reinforced does not automatically mean I can say the animal loves it. And that's what I learned, you know, that distinction was so important. It was years ago, and I remember him teaching me this, and I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> I can't argue that just because the dog brings the ball back to me, just because that behavior is being reinforced, just because it's being reinforced does not automatically mean happy. How often do I say on this podcast that we have to separate our emotions from the word positive reinforcement because it's a misunderstood term? If you haven't listened to my segment on that, guys, episode 15, done multiple episodes, but that's the, that's the real core good one that I started with. Episode 15 is all about positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and punishment. Um, go, go check it out. Really, really good information in there. So getting back to it, guys, it's simply put, simply put at the end of the day, I cannot say how happy or if he's happy or anything of that dog bringing a ball back to me. Now... <laughs> so how do we judge an animal's happiness? Now, I, I view it like this, right? My job is to read behavior and read body language and come to a conclusion of what that body language is telling us, okay? Is that reading how happy an animal is? Not necessarily, <laughs> okay? It's, it's not. Um, but I usually can come to a conclusion on if dogs are happy, right? Like I look at like a doggy day camp day when I've got a bunch of dogs and they're all playing and everybody's, you know, having a good time. I don't know. Are they? How good a time are they having? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but everybody's getting along, right? There's, there's, no, there's no fights. There's no possessiveness over toys. Everybody's playing nicely and wonderfully. I will come to the conclusion as a professional that everybody is stable-minded here. And that's, look, I, I will use words like happy and my dog is happy and things. I throw that around, but I throw it around in a sense of general happiness. I'm not saying I measure my dog's happiness, okay? So I just, that, that it, it, it's, it gets very tricky, this stuff. This is why philosophy is not a straightforward subject because there really isn't a definitive black and white answer to these things. 
Okay. And that's what makes it kind of complicated. Um, so, you know, I, I can judge that that group of dogs, those, that group of dogs there, they're happy. But again, what I, what I choose to say is stable. Look, this is also why I choose not to use words like dominance and alpha, because those have an emotional connotation to them. Connotation, don't they? Yeah, they do. Uh, that's why I prefer to say stable, unstable, desired behavior, undesired behavior. Because what you view as desired, the next person might not. And we can go on and on and on, <laughs> as you can see down this philosophical road of is your dog happy or not? Okay, so I again, I just, I really learned something that day in the sense that once again, reinforcement, positive reinforcement doesn't necessarily mean or equal happiness, okay? So I can't ever really fully judge where Fluffy's emotions are at. That's how we end up coming to a conclusion of human emotions, based on research, based on evidence, based on patterns. Now, no different with dogs. I try to come to that same conclusion to the best of my ability, but I'm not a mind reader, guys. I'm not a mind reader, and nobody out there is. Anybody who says, I know what my dog feels, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but you don't. You just don't. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be vicious. I'm being realistic, guys. Okay? I know. I know. I know. Some of you don't like what I'm saying right now, and I and look, I, I'm sorry for that, but I'm not sorry for what I'm saying because it's it's the reality of it. You can't deny that. You can't deny that your dog can't talk back to you in English. What I can do, what I can do is measure behavior. That's what I do. That's what trainers do. That's what other behaviors, we measure behavior and behavioral patterns. My philosophy is that, again, animals have emotions, but I can't judge to what level. I can put my own emotions in his look. As long as you're recognizing it <laughs> and you understand what it is, then sure. Oh, my dog loves the tennis ball. Well, yeah, but to how much? I don't know. But you're putting your own emotions on it because you love playing with the tennis ball with your dog. Aha. Here's the, look, anybody that's ever taken philosophy, you know, philosophy 101 class, <laughs> some of you will probably, hey, my wife hates philosophy. <laughs> she hates it because her brain is so mathematical and and wired like a CPA that she is. I love her. Um, it's, look, that's why we balance each other out. Her brain's wired that way, mine's wired the other way. It creates a nice balance. Um, <laughs> but she hates it because there's no definitive answer. There isn't. That's why I love philosophy, because there's no definitive answer. <laughs> okay? So, you know, it, <laughs> sorry, cracking myself up here. Um, you know, it, getting back to it, I, I, I can say my dog loves it all I want, but the reality is, am I doing that for myself? Is there this intrinsic value to it that you get something out of it? Therefore, you're being reinforced. Therefore, you're more, more likely to go, oh, my dog loves doing this. Or do you really love doing this? And your dog likes it. <laughs> I don't know. I can't measure that. Okay. Look, let's let's get into the other part real quick of human beings. If, if I ask you right now, I say, hey, how are you feeling today? And your response is, I'm feeling great. But inside you're not. Right? You just told me you're doing happy, you're doing great. Your exterior leads me to believe that everything is fine. But the interior doesn't feel that way. 
How do you judge happiness and emotions if you never truly know if that person is happy? Oh, geez. Here we are again. (laughs) Philosophical answer that you can't truly prove. Because you don't know if I'm lying to you if I say I'm happy and I'm not. You don't know for certain. There's there's that uncertainty that you can't ever. uh, Tough, right? So that's why this is a tough subject because emotions in your dog, emotions in animals, guys, it's, it's such a, I mean, look, listen, look how many directions we can go with this. So to sit here and to me to sit here and say we can qualify and quantify an animal's emotions, to me, that's arrogant. That's so arrogant. And it's humanizing, whether you want to realize it or like it or not. Now, this is the part of the conversation I've avoided for a long time in the podcast. But you know what? We've had a year of <laughs> a year of episodes and I think I think it's time to talk about it a little bit. What about animals with a with with self-awareness? It's one thing to talk about a snake having emotions <laughs> or not having emotions or then getting up to like a dog. But what happens when we have animals who who have self-awareness? What happens when we're talking only a chromosome? You know, when we're talking minimal amounts away from being a human being. What happens when we talk about greater apes? Gorillas, orangutans, chimps, okay? What happens when we get to that level of intelligence? You know, look, I orangutans have the intelligence of a seven-year-old child. Seven-year-old. Think about any of you parents out there, anybody that was ever a seven-year-old, all of us, think about the processing capabilities of a seven-year-old child. Crazy, right? So that animal has to have emotions, I'm sure they do. I know they do. But to what level, how deep, I can't necessarily prove. Now, we've, we've we're, look, I know we're doing a lot of experiments and research and all kinds of good stuff where we're trying to observe animals and their behavior and try to learn more and more from it. And that's wonderful and all. And let's, we're, we're going to talk about experiments and observations and wild animals and things like that in a minute here. But again, to me, until an, this is just my opinion, until an animal can, can, can tell me, and even then, we don't really know because of human beings, until they can tell me just how happy and just how sad they are, it is a slippery slope, my friends. It is. Now, again, through observation, we clearly learned some animals have higher intellect than others. Some have those higher processing capabilities than others, Right. And in doing these observations, we can see certainly that these animals have emotions, that there is a level of care taken uh, with their young. And again, we're talking about higher intellect here. We're not talking about necessarily just a mama bird doing her instinctual thing. Ah, there's another argument, guys. Instinct. How much of all of this is just our instinct? (laughs) Oh, philosophy class. Boy, man, I think some of you are probably like pulling your hair out right now because I just keep giving you all these questions that we cannot answer. (laughs) And that's kind of the theme here for emotions and your dog. You can't answer it. You just can't. So how much of this is just instinct? How much of our emotions are just instinctually based in evolution playing with us? (laughs) That's kind of how I see it. Um, 
you know, I look, we're, we're all, we're all individuals. We all have, I still believe we all have the ability to control oneself and what one says and what one does and individuals should be responsible for their own behavior. Um, different story for a different podcast for a different day. Not, not this one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, you start getting into these these philosophical things, and you have to ask yourself, like, how much of this is just our instinct evolving and an animal's instinct evolving? How much of a dog being like, look at it, look, look, look at play behavior and predators. Play behavior and predators is instinct. The reason that dogs play with each other the way they do is it's a it's practice, practicing for the hunt. Right? You ever watch Animal Planet Discovery Channel? You know what I'm talking about. Watch the watch the wildlife shows with the with the cubs and the tigers and what are, what are all the cubs doing, man? They're chasing each other around and practicing hunting. They're stalking each other. They're because instinct is telling them you better practice now because pretty soon you're going to be hunting on your own. And if you haven't practiced these skills and honed them in, you're not going to survive. Instinct. And we all watch and go, oh, look, they're playing with each other. They love each other. How cute. And <sighs> your emotions or theirs, right? I know. I know. Touchy subject. I know. Oh, goodness, guys. So let's talk about research. Let's talk about animal observation. Now, one of my biggest, this is a few, few of my biggest arguments of why we have to separate our emotions in training, our emotions in behavior, our emotions in psychology. Let's actually start with the human side first here. Human beings, I've given this example before. Why do, why, why are therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists, why are mental counselors, behavioral counselors, why are they able to gain success in their professions with other human beings. I mean, really think about it. Why are they able to gain success? Number one, they have knowledge on the subject, just like with anything, right? But one of the biggest reasons that they have success in being able to help people is because they are an unbiased third party coming in and looking at the situation for what it is, right? Calling, calling up for what it is. <laughs> There's no emotional attachment to their clients. And as a matter of fact, these, these you know, therapists, psychologists, they have to take classes on learning how to separate that. Doctors, right? Learning how to separate your emotions from your patients. It's very important. It's very important because you can become biased. You can become biased toward a client and therefore not give them proper advice because of that emotional bias. Right? Like, think about that. One can't let their emotions get in the way if they're in the profession of helping people through their emotions, you can't. And it's no different when you work with animals. The second you start throwing your own emotions onto them, he feels this way, he feels that way, why well, worry the home? <laughs> your view is now skewed on what's happening behaviorally. Okay? Wild animal observation. When scientists are observing animals in the wild, they don't name the animals. They number them, they letter them, they give them a, a label that is not biased. Because the problem is what happens when you start naming an animal? If we have, you know, if we have, let's say, a pack of even just something simple as wild boars, right? Like, let's talk about some wild pigs. Scientists are observing their behavior. There's 30 of them, and each scientist gets to name five of them. They're going to pick names that mean something to them in one way or another. 
And when you start, you know, <laughs> when you start naming them, what's going to happen? Your emotions go on them. What, you know, years ago when everybody, when people lived on farms and grew up around the food they ate, you know, <laughs> they always said, don't name it because <laughs> you're going to have to eat it, right? You don't want your emotions getting in the way. And it's no different, if not even more important, when it comes to behavior, okay? So that that is just proof right there of why we can't let our own emotions get in the way of training and working with animals. Scientists for a long time have known this, and that's why they number or letter animals that they observe as opposed to naming them, okay? So look, I, I know we've gone like in a lot of directions today because emotions in animals is a big subject. It's a bit, we're probably gonna have to circle back to this one or two more times at least in some follow-up segments. Um, but you know, it's it's been a year and I've talked a lot about a lot about a lot, <laughs> a lot about a lot. And emotions is one of those things that I really wanted to get to. Look, guys, I'll, I'll try to kind of put it in a nutshell, this whole segment. Basically, at the end of the day, it's like this. You cannot let your own emotions get in the way when it comes to behavior, number one. Number two, I do believe animals, I, I know they do. Like I, it's, it's more, maybe it's a feeling, <laughs> but animals have emotions. I truly believe it. But I also believe it's not our job to try to read their minds because we can't. So it's not my job to quantify and qualify emotions in animals, but it's my job to quantify and qualify behavior. And if you guys focus on that aspect of quantifying and qualifying your dog's behavior, then I promise you, you won't have anything to worry about with, with their happiness or sadness. Because if you watch their behavior and you can read, oh, my dog looks nervous right now. Let me see what I can do to redirect that to make him more confident. I got news for you. If you're going to make your dog less nervous and more confident, we don't have to argue much about it. Your dog's going to be happier and healthier. To what level of happiness? <laughs> We're not going there because we can't. All right. But that's how I see it. If you focus on your dog's behavior and you focus on the training, then their happiness will come with that because then you're focusing on their instinctual needs, what they need as a dog. And if you fulfill those needs, I have no doubt no doubt that your dog's going to be happy. But if all you do is, you know, coddle them and all we're giving them is food and affection and no exercise, no stimulation, no mental stimulation, then unfortunately, yeah, your dog's probably, I would guess, not going to be so happy. All right? So again, I'm, I'm not disputing that animals have emotions. I do believe they do. And I'm not here to dispute that for a second. What I am going to dispute is that quantifying and qualifying capabilities that I don't think that we have. And the more you can create a healthy separation of your emotions and your dogs, not that I don't want you to love your dog. Go love your dog. <laughs> right? Please. Look, ask anybody that knows me and has seen me around my own pups. I love them. I snuggle on them. And, and you know, I'm just like anybody else. But my dogs have to be in a good state of mind for me to reinforce that. Go back and listen to episode 50, A Dog's State of Mind. A lot more good in-depth information on that. But if your dogs are in a good state of mind, by all means, love on them. Give them love. Give them affection. I have no problem with that. I just want to make that distinction and make sure we all understand that I do believe animals have emotions. I just got to keep repeating it to make sure everybody knows. Animals have emotions, but just slippery slope when you start trying to quantify and qualify them, guys. So again, stick to the basics. Stick to the psychology. Stick to the training. Keeping your dog healthy, stimulated. Get out there and walk your dog. And that's how you're going to make your dog happy. And you won't have to worry about emotions and your dog. 
Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, introducing your dog to a new baby. But first, I want to say congratulations. Good friends Natalie and Darren just had a new baby a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, so big congratulations to you guys. And it's actually their second kid, second baby. <laughs> so, hey, they know what they're doing with their dog Truffles and introducing to a new baby. And Truffles is phenomenal uh, with their first child. I have no doubt she'll be just as good with the second. So congratulations, guys. Very happy for you and very exciting. Uh, so, you know, introducing a dog to a new baby, it's, it's definitely something that's very very important, right? Introductions in general with dogs, whether it be a person or or another dog or a new baby, it's it's really vital that we do it correctly. And with the new baby, you know, it comes a lot of adjustments, a lot of new adjustments for the dog, for everybody. There's change, such dramatic change. Sometimes rooms are changing around, paint's going up, new things, new smells coming in that your dog has never been presented with. Some dogs will take right to it. Others, it might present a challenge. But, you know, doing that introduction correctly, which can take a lot of time, this isn't just the introduction of bringing the baby home, the introduction process is actually a lot. There's a lot of things. And there's like, you know, there's a laundry list of stuff we got to do. And there's maybe some other things with with bringing a new baby into the home that we got to talk about that maybe you haven't thought of, right? You know, most checklists you, you think of, you think of the standard, make sure you bring a blanket home from the hospital. And yes, there are things like that that are a great starting point. But again, there's there's sometimes more to it. So first things first, when you find out that you're pregnant and you haven't spent a concerted amount of time or effort training your dog, hey, what better time than right now? <laughs> yes, immediately, guys, the second you find out you're pregnant, if your dog is not trained, the first thing you need to do is enroll your dog in training class immediately. No waiting, no excuses, no I'm going to do it next month. You need to start right now. Now, it is so important that your dog learn good manners, your dog's in a good state of mind, um, basic obedience training, guys. We're not talking about rocket science here, uh, but your dog needs to know some rules and some boundaries, and if they have not been properly trained, you need to get it done. Can't stress that enough. Uh, please go get your dog trained the second you find out you're pregnant. Look, I always say the best way to head off bad behaviors is to do just that. Head them off. <laughs> Having a well-trained dog is the best way to ensure that, okay? Now, when we start talking about, you know, introducing a dog, something maybe you don't think enough about or maybe you just haven't thought about in general, centering yourself. And of course, I mean centering yourself mentally. It's a stressful, crazy, chaotic experience. And look, I can't imagine 
I can't imagine the stress and, and, and anxiety that's going to come with having a child, let alone thinking about introducing your dog to, you know, to your new child and making sure everything goes smoothly. So I know it can bring some anxiety, but really guys, the best way to head off any behaviors with your dog in a new is, is center yourself. Look, I don't care if you need to go to acupuncture, yoga, meditation, breathing exercises. Uh, maybe you just find something enjoyable that makes you happy. But through the chaotic process of preparing for bringing a life into this world, you've got to find some kind of uh, calmness because unfortunately, your dog is a mirror. We talk about it all the time. Your dog is a mirror. They're going to directly reflect back whatever you're giving off. And unfortunately, your dog can't read your emotions, right? We talked about that today a little bit. Uh, But your dog can't read your emotions. What they can read is your anxiety, your fear. And that in turn can actually make them feel like they need to feel feel fearful. They need to be anxious. Okay. So through the whole process, and I mean, any stressful situation, right? We should always try to recenter ourselves. So, um, you know, it's funny. I read a couple, I I was trying to do even just a little more reading on, I read a blog um, from a mom who said, you know, hey, the books and, and the training advice from trainers like myself are great. But firsthand experience, and that's kind of what I was trying to look for, is a little firsthand experience. And she said one of the biggest things that she found and that she read about were other people remaining calm and what a difference it made for keeping their dogs calm. So I know it's tough, but guys, you you can't be worried about what's going to happen 10 seconds from now because if your dog is fine and there's nothing wrong, then guess what? There's nothing to be worried about. It's tough, I know. Uh, But you have to try to find that balance in your own emotions in order to reflect good energy upon your dog. Okay. So that's really where it starts. Practicing feeling calm about your baby and your dog. Practice feeling good about it. Okay. Make sure you're giving your dog strong and confident emotions, not fearful and anxious. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is your dog and their crate. I recommend crate training every dog, right? Puppy, grown dog, rescue dog. I don't really care what the scenario is. We've talked about this. You can go back and listen to my thoughts on on crate training in different segments. But your dog needs to be crate trained. And even if... um, Look, even if your dog is a full-grown adult and you haven't crated them in years, I really recommend bringing the crate back out. Putting a nice dog bed in there, making it a comfortable, nice, you know, a fun place for them again, place they enjoy, right? And giving them a space of their own. Having that that separation and having their own space, letting them being able to go in there on their own can really make them feel more comfortable with it. And another thing we need to do with this crate is make sure from day one, now of course day one, your baby's not going to understand, but you have the ability to stop it. Your baby is not allowed in the crate. Your toddler's not allowed in the crate, okay? Your kids should not be allowed in your dog's crate, should not be a play area. And again, it's funny because I always recommend, but I read on one of the mommy vlogs, same kind of thing is apparently kids think it's like the best play gym ever <laughs> to, to go hang out in as a dog's crate. Uh, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like when you buy a kid a toy and they'd rather go play with the box, right? <laughs> Put it in the cardboard box. Um, anyway, so make sure that from day one you establish That area is the dog's area, not the kid's area. Make sure your babysitters know this rule. Make sure grandparents, siblings, anybody who's watching or babysitting your child, make sure that rule is instilled. Really important. Your dog needs a safe, comfortable space to make sure that they feel comfortable around this change, around this new baby, okay? So another thing we're going to start doing is sort of running down the checklist of of things we want to start doing as we go. Now, 
This might sound a little crazy, <laughs> but think about buying a doll. Seriously, buy a baby doll, and you're going to want to carry that baby doll around the house as if you would your own baby. Get them used to, get your dog used to you holding a baby in your arms, singing to it, running through a routine with it. Again, I know it sounds a little crazy, but dogs, just like every animal, are creatures of habit. And your dog is probably, especially if you have a grown dog, they've been relying on those routines that you've established with them day after day, potentially year after year. And we want to start introducing these new aspects of the routine slowly and before your baby arrives. That way, once your baby does arrive, you've already been working these routines and it's nothing out of the ordinary to your dog. Okay. That's why this part is really important. Your dog can obviously smell that that's not a human, right? We're not trying to like trick your dog <laughs> into thinking you're actually holding a baby. Really guys, it's more about the routine and the fact that, you know, like some dogs don't, uh, and again, if your dog doesn't like when you ignore them or when you pay attention to something else, that's a training problem. That's a behavioral problem. That goes back to training your dog well before your baby arrives, okay? But again, just getting them used to that routine. You're also gonna wanna set up the cribs, toys, carriers, swings. Have your baby <laughs> use those things, your doll, use those things just like your baby will in a few months when they arrive, okay? Now, if your dog is trained, or should I say when your dog is trained, because they need to be if you're bringing a new baby into this world, guys, we can use our commands like go on. Go on means turn and walk away, dog, you know, give me some space. It's nothing mean. It just means, hey, turn and go on, go on, go on. It's helpful if the baby, you know, you're going to put your baby in the carrier on the ground, help establish some boundaries, teaching your dog, go on, and there's some space you need to give the baby, okay? Leave it command, drop it command, go spot. I can go on and on about how helpful and useful these commands are for a baby, be, well, for a baby, for your dog, with, your baby might eventually listen too. you know, try, try starting these commands from day one with your baby, sit, stay, you'd be surprised, they'll, they'll get it pretty quick once they can start understanding. <laughs> no, I kid. Uh, but, but, you know, seriously, these commands can be very helpful for working with your baby and your dog, because you want to be establishing boundaries, right? We want to be establishing certain boundaries with our baby, and there's nothing wrong with that. You also want to start thinking about how your dog views the world around them. Like we talked about the routine, right? Body language and scent. So we all know you want to start bringing the baby lotions out, the diapers, all the things that are going to smell like the baby. Let your dog smell them. Let them get comfortable with them. Of course, boundaries. Don't let them bite the lotion bottle. Don't let them lick the lotion bottle. Those kind of things that I think are important to make them understand baby stuff not baby stuff, you know, not dog stuff, right? So you want to get them used to these things, but still think about the boundaries that come along with these items, okay? So another thing, and I think I kind of mentioned it is, you know, you don't want to change your dog's routine up too much. Um, so leading up to the months before you have the baby, make sure you're continuing to walk your dog in the way you did before. Make sure you're continuing to, you know, if you go to the dog park, take your, continue to take your dog to the dog park. You don't want to make all of these sudden changes along with the chaos of all the change at the house and all the, you don't want to do that because, you know, I see this unfortunately a little too often with, with new babies is there's all this chaos at the house happening. You got, look, as a parent, as a new parent, you're preparing and you're putting all your energy and effort to making sure everything's right. But in doing so, sometimes the attention, the exercise and the stimulation for your dog, all that, that they so desperately need, it goes out the door in the months leading up to even having the baby, let alone once the baby comes, and then we wonder why Fluffy won't adjust correctly to the new baby, you know? 
So of course, leading up to the months, we want to keep that routine, but guys, I can't stress it enough. Make sure well in advance of that due date, you know, you're, you're keeping that routine going and then well after the due date, you're continuing to give your dog the exercise, stimulation, and attention that they need. You know something, maybe this is the time that doggy day camp is in your dog's near future. Again, I would start sending your dog to doggy day camp well before the baby comes. That way they start getting used to it as part of the routine. If that's what you need to do to make sure your dog stays exercised when you first have a baby, guys, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. As a matter of fact, that's that's responsible dog ownership is what that is. You know you're not going to have the time. You know you're not going to be able to hire a dog walker, doggy day camps, whatever the case may be. Do what you need to do to ensure you're creating a good routine for your dog and you're giving them everything that they need. Speaking of giving them everything that they need, let's not forget, again, well in advance. It's all about being a Boy Scout in this situation, guys. Be prepared well before there is a problem or well before you're ready for the baby to come. Hopefully there won't be any problems, right? But this is my point. We want to avoid problems with your dog by making sure someone we know, right, who's caring for the dog when you guys go to the hospital. Due dates, we don't, they don't always come on the due date, right? There's all kinds of uh, uh, things that can come up that make you know, babies come in early. Make sure you know well ahead of time who's watching your dog. Make sure that they know that they're on alert for that. You also want to make sure your dog's up to date on all their shots. Make sure they have medication, extra food, all of these things that are so important so the person that's watching your dog doesn't have to worry about it, right? It's easy everything's just seamless. Something you really should think about is your puppy too. I know you definitely are thinking about your baby, uh, but don't forget about your dog. Okay. So all that leading up to it. Now we're getting close to the due date, right? Or maybe, you know, the due date, maybe we're inducing. So we know when the baby's coming, um, leading up to those days, it's really important that your dog is exercised even more extra, extra, extra exercise, extra walks, extra doggy day camps that week, extra fun at the dog park, extra playing with the neighbor's dog, extra tennis ball in the backyard, extra swimming, extra, <laughs> extra, extra, read all about it. Your dog needs more stimulation leading up to that due date. Okay. Really, really important. A tired dog is going to be a more happy dog. Let's not get into the happy. We talked about that today, but a more stable minded dog. Okay. So once we get there, once we're at that point, baby has come, you have somebody watching your dog for you, okay? What I want you to start doing is, uh, you know, everybody knows it, you want to bring a familiar scent home from the hospital, or excuse me, a familiar scent, a scent of the baby home from the hospital. So either a onesie that they were wearing or a blanket they were wrapped in, something with all those baby scents on it, you're going to bring it home. Now, really important, guys, I don't want you to walk or, or whoever's bringing this familiar smell home. It's probably not going to be mom and dad. It's probably going to be who's watching the dog or grandma. Okay. Whoever's bringing that home, you don't want to walk in the door and immediately make a big overexciting deal about the smell of the blanket. Oh, look at that. no, 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 no. We want the baby to reflect calmness, not crazy, chaotic change. Okay, so when I bring that blanket, well, when you bring that blanket in, when we bring the blanket in to introduce to the uh, to the dog, I want to make sure the dog's actually giving the blanket space. Okay, we want to make sure it's immediately not coming and shoving its nose or pawing at the blanket or anything like that, because that's not what we want to uh, the behavior we want to associate with the baby. Okay, really important, guys. Your dog should be leashed up as usual when we're training. Okay, this is a training moment. And you need to create control over the blanket. 
Once your dog is controlled from 10 feet away from the blanket, then we can get a little closer. Again, making sure we're controlled, making sure the dog is in a calm state of mind. This process could take literally upwards of 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. You want to make sure you do this right. Only reinforce calm state of mind with your dog in the blanket. Now, we don't want to like correct it. No harsh corrections, nothing crazy. Okay. Just redirect it and wait till your dog relaxes. Then bring closer to the blanket. Okay. That's what we want to do. Then once they're sniffing the blanket and all as well, we can say, yeah, good boy, good girl, nice and calmly, reinforcing calm behavior, okay? That's where it starts, all right? And once we bring baby home, once we bring baby home, we're gonna, again, guys, before baby comes home, right before baby comes home, whoever's watching the dog is going to be taking them for a nice, long, exhausting walk, okay? They'll have had an extra day of doggy day camp that day before baby comes home, and a big walk, and extra playtime, everything. So they're nice and tired, okay? When we bring baby inside, dog's gonna be leashed up and is not allowed to say hello. Establish clear boundaries first, that their immediate thought should not be come over and pounce on the baby. Their first shot thought should be, let me give this baby space. Take it nice and slowly as to not overwhelm your dog immediately. Okay. I really would recommend getting with a professional in your area if you are concerned about this to help alleviate some of your anxiety over it and to help help maybe walk you through it more in depth, okay? But really, it's all about taking the introduction slowly. You can definitely reinforce with treats as long as we're redirecting away from the baby when we feed. We're not feeding near the baby, nothing like that, okay? Uh, but we always want to reinforce calm behaviors with our dog. That's really where it's at, guys. That's really what it's about. Making sure your dog is in a good state of mind. You make this process a couple month process. And of course, most importantly, you get your dog trained and in a good state of mind well before baby arrives, okay? There's a lot to read about. There's a lot you can. I highly recommend finding people's personal blogs and their personal experiences. Uh, you know, look, I myself, I don't have children, but I have helped coach quite a few clients through this process and through this adjustment period. There is a lot to get used to. There's a lot going on. Do your research, do your reading, and you'll be more set up for success in introducing your dog to a new baby. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Old English Sheepdog. The Old English Sheepdog is a member of the herding group, and they weigh in from 60 to 100 pounds. The quintessential big, shaggy dog, the Old English Sheepdog, is a large, lovable, and gentle pup. They have a mellow temperament about them, but have plenty of energy to go out and work. They are a wonderful family dog, being loyal and good with kids. Surprisingly, they don't shed very much though. However, that thick, long double coat needs weekly grooming and care to keep it healthy. Potential owners really have to ask themselves if they are prepared for that level of upkeep and the cost of grooming that's associated with the breed. These dogs do need daily walks to keep them mentally stimulated. And really, you know, they can actually get bored with too much repetitive routine, so variety is key. They can do well also at agility, obedience, and of course, herding. There are some health concerns to be aware of, such as hip dysplasia, eye conditions, cardiac anomalies, thyroid issues, and hereditary deafness. However, kept in good health, these dogs can live to be 10 to 12 years old. The origins of the Old English Sheepdog are, well, a bit unknown. 
While one of the most recognizable English breeds, the name is actually a bit of a misnomer. By breed standards, they're really, well, not that old, and their bloodline likely comes from other parts of Europe and possibly Russia instead of England. And they're not even technically sheepdogs. <laughs> Originally, the breed was used to drive cattle to market. An English sheepdog was most likely developed in the western part of England, and in the late 1800s, the breed made its way to the United States. The AKC registered the first Old English Sheepdog in 1888, and in 1914, the breed was chosen for the Winter's Circle at Westminster Kennel Club. The Old English Sheepdog reached its heightened popularity in the U.S. in the 1970s, but as people realized what a large responsibility and undertaking it can be to care for these dogs, the number has since gone down. There are quite a few famous Old English sheepdogs in pop culture. In The Little Mermaid, Prince Eric owned one named Max. In another Disney movie, The Shaggy Dog, well, of course we all know that starred an Old English sheepdog. Then there was the real-life Old English sheepdog named Martha. Now She was owned by Paul McCartney and inspired the Beatles song, Martha My Dear. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the largest frog in the world? It's the Goliath Frog. They can weigh up to 7.2 pounds, be 12 and a half inches or 32 centimeters in length. Some are even as big as a small house cat. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. First question today comes from Trisha from Rhode Island. Trisha says, I get up super early for work when it's still dark out. My dog does not want to get up and only wants to stay in bed. Should I wait to walk my dog later when I get home? What should I do? Well, Trisha, it's a good question. You know, if you're getting up super early and it's still dark, some dogs just really aren't interested until the sun comes up. Biology talks, instinct speaks and says, hey, you know, sun's not up. There's no reason to get up. Um, <laughs> at the same time, big comfy bed or getting up, you know, no. <laughs> but no, sometimes it's a matter of just forming a new routine with your dog. You know, what I would do is just not really give them the option. Just leash them up and encourage them and say, hey, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Give them a couple little tugs, you know, nothing crazy, not corrections, but instead encouragements or redirections. Maybe use some treats. Nothing wrong with that. Um, I, You know, it, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of bribing at first. What I prefer to look at it as, it's not prefer to look at it, it's kind of what it is. When you use it correctly, it's called reinforcement sampling, right? What we want to do is... Don't give him a treat if he's not, you know, he, she, uh, if your dog's not getting out of bed, don't give them a treat until they get up out of bed. So you can sort of take the treat, waft it in front of their nose so they get the scent and encourage them, you know, by pulling the treat away from the bed, encourage them to get out of bed. Once they do get up and get out of bed, by all means, give them the treats. Then the more they get up and move toward you and away from the bed, the more you keep reinforcing it with food. Uh, definitely leash them up though, so that way you have the ability to at least guide and direct them a bit. And then, of course, like I said, treat after once they're out of bed. If you do this consistently enough days in a row, you'll find your dog's going to pop right out of bed first thing in the morning and be ready to go on a walk for, you know, I, I really wouldn't wait to go on the walk until you get home from work. Um, you know, as I've said before, I stress the importance of it, it's important to get that energy out first thing in the morning. You know, your dog's been asleep all night, building up all those reserve tanks of energy really important that we get that first walk out so we get the physical and mental energy drained. So that way when you're at work, hey, you know what? Then they can pass right back out, go back to sleep. And that's probably what they'll do the whole day when you're gone if you get them on that initial walk. So 
I'd recommend using treats, get them out of bed, reinforce it, create a routine about it. Before you know it, your dog will be walking uh, without a problem. Next question. This comes from Linda from Atlanta, Georgia. Linda asks, can I roll down the window in my car to let my dog stick her head out? You know, you'll read things that do say you're not supposed to let your dog get high-intensity wind pushed up into their nostrils. It can cause damage. I don't really know about that. There are plenty of hunters and people who use scent hounds that purposefully leave the dogs in the bed of a pickup truck, obviously, you know, secured in a crate or something like that. But the point is they leave them out there so their noses can be exposed to scent. And so they can pick up on on certain uh, smells. Don't mind the squeaker noise in the background. Violet's just playing with a dog toy right now. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so, you know, I don't I don't really know about all that. I, I don't really see a problem with leaving the window a little bit down. But of course, look, there's always the disclaimer of you need to know your dog. Don't just roll the window down. It's actually kind of funny. I had this conversation uh, a couple days ago with one of my clients about this. And she said, you know, that's one of her concerns is rolling down the window all the way. She sees a lot of people do it. And God forbid the dog starts barking at another dog and wants to leap out because all it takes is once, right? Your dog could be great for three weeks in the car without a problem. And one day sees the wrong trigger and boom, it tries to leap out the window. So, you know, my recommendation is if you want to let your dog do this, number one, tether your dog, right? Maybe get a nice car harness or something like that, but either tether them to the seat. There's great seatbelt buckles that actually buckle into the seatbelt buckle. And the other end is a, uh, a leash clip, right? So you can actually tether your dog to the seatbelt. Be careful of those because sometimes the dog can actually step on the seatbelt and release it. <laughs> you know? So uh, be careful there. Sometimes you can just tie them to the headrest, right? Tie the leash to the headrest. Point is, if they're tethered and you tether it at the correct length, you don't have to be concerned about your dog leaping out. Now, I would still only lower the, the window just a smidgen, like an inch or two to start with. Let them get the scent at first and get comfortable with the fact that the scent is coming in and they're not going to react to it. Okay, then I'll roll it down a little more, so on and so forth, until your dog is totally comfortable. Now, guys, do be careful. Know your dog. Know your dog's behavior. Make sure you're tethering properly. Look, if you have a really reactive dog, if you have a dog who reacts to anything it sees outside the car at some point, even if it's only this one particular particular circumstance, I still don't know that I would risk it lowering that you know window more than just a hand, you know, couple inches, just enough that they can get the scent, maybe stick a little bit of their nose out, but there's no way that they can climb out of it. So it's always better to be safe than sorry. Err on the side of caution. Keep the window only at a comfortable amount of open for your dog. And of course, always tether your dogs when they're in the car to make sure you keep them safe. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. And thank you so much for your support and contributing to an entire year of Speak a Dogcast. If you have any questions for the listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Find me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Have a wonderful week. Don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Walk your dog.